Good evening. You're listening to the Yenau podcast. Uh, my name is Craig. It's Tuesday, the 15th of November, and with me tonight, I have Bronwyn. Bonjour. <laughs> We're an international podcast oh. now. Well, she is Mark. Canadian, so, you know, she's got that French thing going I, I, on. I, I, right? I can pretend I'm bilingual. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> right. Uh, yes, Mark. me. Hello. Hello. Yes. Hello, everybody. And uh, a special special guest tonight, um, Al Blenny. Hello, Al. Bom dias. <laughs> what was that? Portuguese. Ah, brilliant. <laughs> Are you Portuguese? No. I just thought I'd impress everybody. <laughs> well done. I like yeah, it. English is boring. <laughs> Well, we will be uh, keeping our international listeners entertained then. <laughs> Far-flung places. I don't think so. I can't keep this up. I barely understood what those two said. I just, I can't keep going. <laughs> right. So anyway, uh, so I understand that at least some of us have been to the Go Green Expo. Uh, I went last weekend. Well, the weekend yeah. has just been. And we went the weekend before. Um, I didn't realize they ran them so close to each other. That was probably quite stressful for them to run these things one week straight after another. Yeah, well, maybe it's kind of just the season and um, season for people to be thinking about going green. Yeah. I Al, have you say... ever been? Have you ever been to a Go Green Expo? Uh, no, but I'm in Tauranga and we have a greenish expo this weekend. And I intend to go along and see if it's been overrun by the Woo Meisters. <laughs> I, I know where I'd put my money, to be quite honest. <laughs> so I may yet report. Nice. Yes, from looking at the website, it is all part of the one franchise. So they have Auckland, Christchurch, Wellington, Tauranga and Hawke's Bay. I guess it's a good time to do it because you get in early for the Christmas gifts. You know, you're stocking stuffers. Hmm. Get your woo in, you know, get that special bamboo clothes or your, um, you know, your electromagnetic protective clothing. <laughs> but hang on a minute, Bronwyn, nothing that you listed there is green. What's going on with the Green Expo? <laughs> yeah. Well, is it green wash? <laughs> it's, it's painful, isn't it? When, when we turned up, I said to Bronwyn when we were outside that the electric cars were about the only green thing she was going to see. It really was mm. just... Mm. <sighs> It's not green, it's woo. So were there electric cars at the at your vision? Yeah. Of kind of yeah, in Wellington. Type. Sorry? There were DeLorean type electric cars. Yeah. In Wellington every year they park a bunch of uh, electric cars out the front, which obviously makes for a good first impression when you turn up. It's only when you go through the doors that you realize that actually none of it's got anything to do with being environmentally friendly inside. Mm. Well, that's interesting because that sounds quite different to the experience that I had. Like when I went the weekend, there were no electric cars. So maybe they just sort of pull together whoever they want as exhibitors or whoever has applied to be an exhibitor in each of the cities. And um, that's what you get when you go to the Go Green Expo in that particular city. In In my version, they had some electric scooters, which looked quite cool. Um, and and there were actually a reasonable number of stalls that had some sort of um, 
green credentials, I guess. It was like there were there were um, plant growing things for running off grey water um, and uh, growing your own vegetables at home, that sort of thing. But the the vast majority of things were either supposed health products um, or these kind of uh, wooey things. Um, so I reported in the newsletter that I saw the um, Bioptron um, devices. There are a couple of stalls there where they had the, the machine. That, we had uh, two. And I got to experience right. a free assessment. Oh, okay. <laughs> and Weren't that you was, lucky? That was, that was so awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I actually did injure, legitimately injure my foot by dropping a, what, a 700, 750 mil bottle of hand sanitizer on my toe. So it had, you know, it was bruised and everything. It was, it was fantastic. Um, so Mark sort of pushed me forward to <laughs> saying, oh, get a free assessment. So I did. And God, it was like, what, 20 minutes? I couldn't of my life. I'm not going to get back. <laughs> yeah, I sorry. I, I basically walked up to the woman at the stand and said, excuse me, a friend of mine is really interested in getting a treatment from you. Not realizing, firstly, that Bronwyn actually had damaged her foot and had something legitimate. And secondly, just how long it would take. Like at first, I thought it was OK because she put this low level light shining on Bronwyn's foot and the timer was set to three minutes and I thought three minutes that's not bad but unfortunately that wasn't where it ended it just kept going didn't it Bronwyn yeah yeah but it was funny at first because it was a blue light and it felt really cold and I'm like let's see how she answers my question I'm like god you know my foot's feeling really chilly at the moment and she's like yeah the blue light is really cooling <laughs> and then so did you did you have to have a naked foot under the machine? Or? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, um, Mark has a picture of it. Um, I'm wearing my jandal, so. But yeah, I right. had to take the jandal off, pop it on a pillow. Um, but there was a five or six second break after she said that sentence. And, but then she admitted that, but there's also a fan in the machine to cool the <laughs> light bulb. <laughs> Maybe you're feeling that. Oh, my God. A rational explanation. No. <laughs> and then she went through like five or six more cycles of light just going up and down my foot, up my ankle. Um, and and she, did she, she provide any explanation as to how this thing was meant to work? Just um, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't hear anything. I mean, I've had a lot of dealings with Bioptron in the past. One thing I did hear her say when she, because the Bioptron is basically a low-level white light, mm. and then they put filters in front of it, so only a single color comes out. And when she put the first color on, I think it was the blue you said, Bronwyn, yeah. she said that Bronwyn was getting the benefit of the white light and the blue light because the filter was in front of it. <laughs> it was like, that's no, I don't think that's how it work. works. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, different colors are meant to sort of, you know, do short term and long term healing. And you're not meant to feel the effects right away. Actually, you're meant to within maybe a half an hour, you start to you'll start to feel something and it'll last for a couple of hours. Um, while I was having my assessment, though, people were coming up and, you know, me having this assessment done seemed quite legitimate to at least one person. Um, he was like, oh, I should come back because maybe they'll be able to fix my ankle. And that's when you start feeling a little bit dirty. But the yeah. business model for this particular stall that we went to was very interesting because she said she only goes to what, about 45 of these events a year. So that's about two, um, four events. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, one a week, essentially. She 
sells these machines. She doesn't really charge. She claims that she doesn't charge for appointments. What she does is that she stays in town for a couple of days after the event to do follow up, like follow up assessments. And I think really upsell people to buy their own machines, Hmm. which is where the money is. Yeah, yeah, thousands of dollars just for one of these lights that looking at them, you know, there's probably like $20 worth of materials and an effort in the machine and then a few dollars for per filter. It's not worth thousands by by a long margin. But apparently she's a little bit territorial. Um, another another attendee at the market sort of came down and was asking questions saying, Oh, you know, I have my own machine. Um, What filter do I need to use to, um, you know, take care of this particular ailment? And she got really sort of tense because I think Hmm. she's sort of, if she's not sort of the sole proprietor of this business or the sole distributor, um, I think she has a good idea about how many machines are in the country because she did not know who this woman was, this attendee. And she's like, Oh, so, where, you know, where did you get your machine? And the woman's like, oh, I have my own. I got it off a of trade me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, my my healer was very much like, oh, no, no, you never got the training and you didn't get the assessment. And the woman tr- woman eventually um, effed off. Mm. She got a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, because because I noticed that there were two separate stalls that were selling them or promoting same. the machine. That was the so, same at Wellington. Right. Yeah. But um, it's interesting. The one in Wellington was also selling some sort of um, device, like electromagnet, like was it an electric shock device or something? Mark, do you uh, remember that yeah, one? Yeah, the other one might have been PEMF, the passive EMF thingy. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that stuff there. Actually, one other thing I noticed for the first time this year at the Bioptron stall that Daniel said has been up for years was there's a letter from Auckland University thanking Bioptron for treating one of their elephants with their LED lights. Um, <laughs> and I'm just like, I can't believe that Auckland Zoo, sorry, Auckland Zoo have done this. It's like, I, I'm going to have to write to them and ask them what what's going on. Why did you think that one of your elephants should have been treated with a bogus device? Because it doesn't seem right to do. I mean, on humans or animals, right? Apologies, hmm. Bronwyn, for signing you up for this one. But it <laughs> our, our friendship is forever changed. <laughs> well, at the very least, um, yeah, you you deserve to get me back at some point. So feel free to sign me up for something random at some point. Well, you know, we are going to go to a doTERRA event sometime in December, aren't we? But you also signed oh, that, like voluntarily. I did also <laughs> sign you up for a doTERRA event. Yeah, so we're, we're going to basically sign up to a um, an essential oil multi-level marketing scheme. In fact, the one that the people that run Voices for Freedom are heavily into, which will be fun. I um, picked up a um, Bioptron um, brochure uh, at the stand, and I'm intrigued that it's got a panel in it that says medically proven to assist with, and it lists a uh-huh. ton, of, um, ton of complaints. I wonder how they establish that it's medically proven to assist with those. Assist with is the uh, the key weasel word mm-hmm. there, that they basically argue with the ASA that assist means that it's not, they don't have to prove that it does anything. Um, right. the, the idea is that assist with is kind of just helps the body in general. So they could argue that it's a little bit of light. So your body produces a little bit of vitamin D as a, as a response to that. And that bit of vitamin D 
will be useful for your body. And so kind of in healing, it might be used at some point. And yeah, the ASA Advertising Standards Authority has a list of these weasel words, which they consider to be weak enough that you're not actually making a medical claim and it's okay to use them in adverts. To me, it's horrible because to the average person on the street, when they read this, they don't think, oh, that's one of those words that these people are allowed to use. They'll read an advert like that and really think that it does help with these things. And so I think the ASA is totally out of touch with how people read these brochures, which is silly because they're supposed to be the people that understand more about adverts than anybody else. And yet, you know, either accidentally or deliberately, they've got their head in the sand on this one. Mm. Yes. Okay. And uh, the other the other panel uh, in this brochure talks about Tesla eyewear. So yeah, this is a about- recent one. This is this yes. is Buckyball. So they're using Buckminster Fullerene as some kind yeah. of coating on a pair of glasses, mm. and then making another bunch of medical claims about these things. It's it's totally daft, but yeah, it's like the Bioptron, I guess, isn't making them so much money anymore. So they're just inventing new things, basically. They're kind of going into the Erlen lens category, you know, because sunglasses, they're portable. They break really easily. And, you know, if people believe that they work. They can just buy, they could probably buy that one a little bit more easily and repetitively than they mm. would a Bioptron. Well, th- these aren't cheap sunglasses. They're $550 oh, as the, the cheapest pair. <laughs> so. Ouch. Yeah, uh, and I had a look on the website for them. They make these weird claims that somehow the sunlight going through the lens is uh, transformed into the shape called a Tesla toroid, which then uh, travels into the eye and then up the optic nerve to somehow harmonize the cells in your brain back into proper working order. Oh, oh, that is painful. So, Al, it looks like the uh, the Tauranga one is this weekend coming up, right? I've just it looked is. it up online. Yep, it is indeed. So I will see if there's anything new and exciting which I should buy and tell you about. <laughs> Honestly, so, just stick to the free samples. The only thing I ever buy at these things is until this year. That Unfortunately, the stall wasn't there this year, but in previous years, there's been a place that sells good basil pesto and... It's not environmentally friendly, but at least it was tasty and they weren't making medical claims about it. And I used to buy a tub of that, but they're not even there anymore in Wellington. It was really sad. Uh, well, but, I, got, I got to, to sample some peanut butter and uh, purchased uh, a rather large amount of peanut butter. <laughs> so did I. So did I. Um, but we also got to have um, some ceremonial cacao again, didn't we, Mark? <laughs> yes, but a little bit sweetened this time. So it was less god awful. Yeah, but um, I think the, uh, yeah, even if it's coconut sugar, they still added sugar to it to make it palatable. <laughs> but Mark, you you and uh, Daniel Ryan had a really good time at a very special booth, didn't you? What, what, what special booth was this? Oh, the um, one about the internet, internet security or um, you're, you know, keeping your um, <sighs> screen time. Yeah. So for people who read our newsletter this weekend, you will be hearing or you'll be reading a very angry article from me because 
And this is really interesting to me. I think I'm going to explore this as well because it was in my wheelhouse. This was, I think they were called Safe ICTNZ. And these are, there was a pair of women at the stall who were talking about how dangerous technology can be and how you need to limit your exposure to harmful rays. So turn off Bluetooth, turn off the internet where you can. Don't put your mobile phone in your pocket near your testicles or in your bra um, and all these kinds of things. And I, I found it unreasonably annoying. I think because, you know, I'm an IT professional and they were spreading such nonsense. It made me angry, which most nonsense doesn't. Most nonsense I can look at dispassionately and kind of enjoy it for how crazy it is. But this was infuriating. And I'm fascinated by the fact that it's infuriating. And I really, really want to pull apart their claims. So it might be quite a long article this weekend about that one. Well, we shall look forward to it. So, Bronwyn, did the uh, did the healing on your foot actually make things better? Absolutely not. <laughs> hang on, hang on. How's your foot now? Is it okay? Yeah, it's all right. There you go. Oh, well, See, it worked. Work, it, it, <laughs> no, the effects are only supposed to last for two to three hours. And then oh. I was supposed to go buy the Biotron <laughs> and then keep on doing healing every day. All oh, right. And, you know, but the woman, you know, was making some really ridiculous claims like she would shine the lights in her eyes every day. And that has apparently has kept her from uh, needing glasses at her age in like the 70s. Mm. It's it's a very low level light. There's not a whole bunch of power with it. Um, this was one of the things I, I once had a set of ASA complaints against them where they appealed and I had I decided to go and basically counter their appeal and they'd sent to the advertising standards three lever arch folders full of studies that they said prove that their product works and i went in and the asa were really nice they kept bringing me coffee while i was sitting there for an afternoon in their office going through all this evidence and in the end i went through every single study and i was able to show for every single one why it was not relevant to bioptron and a large part of it was these are all high power lights that are being used in these studies and bioptron by its own admission is a low level light that they don't have much power and they even advertise this as a positive thing you know this is a low level device it's not going to cause you problems and it's like well you can't use studies of high powered lights to basically justify that your low powered light is going to do the same thing that's not how it works and the other thing was about the frequencies that they were like oh we just have the visible frequencies and a lot of their studies were either ultraviolet or a lot of infrared and it was like well if again if you're advertising that your device doesn't output infrared you can't then Tell me that a study about the healing effect of infrared light is in any way relevant to your device. This is just silly. I, I'm actually quite surprised, honestly, that I did win that appeal and uh, they didn't get the decision overturned and they were told to change their advert. I don't think they did change their advert. I think they just <laughs> did, didn't even bother. But at least I won in that case, which honestly for the ASA is quite surprising. A lot of the time, if a company appeals, they'll, they'll tend to fall on the side of the company. I guess that's um, really the, the way these companies work is that they pull together any study that seems vaguely relevant, even if it doesn't really support their product, and they'll stick it on a web page. And if somebody is casually interested in the science, they'll go and click on that and see that there's all these studies. And most people don't have the ability to delve into them and figure out whether the study is actually relevant to the claims they're making. 
Yeah. Yeah. For a lot of for a lot of people, it will be just, oh, there is a study and it does show a positive result and not actually think about what are the specifics of the study. And normally I'd probably be quite similar. But yeah, this time I, I wasn't having any of it. I was willing to put the hours in to prove that they I can't remember how I phrased it in my my response to the appeal, but I, I think it was something about like pulling the wool over the ASA's eyes that they were just trying to baffle them with like a mountain of papers that were irrelevant. So the um, the other store that I sort of looked into um, was a brain drink product, uh, which oh. was produced. Is it a Reaper? Yes, <laughs> yes. Yes, tested by Auckland University, right? Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, yes. Well, currently, apparently there's a study going on, but uh, that doesn't stop them from actually already marketing the product without actually having the results of the study. Uh, and it's a pretty small study anyway, but you know, I guess it's, it's the, that's the pattern with these companies. They, I think they sort of start up, they get sort of put into these incubator programs that say this is how you go about building the marketing and the brand, and then the science sort of sits behind it, and it's there as a as a prop, um, which doesn't necessarily prove anything that the thing works. I think the the best of those companies are the ones that at least go to a reputable university and somehow convince them to do a study and find a positive result. And a lot of them seem to be berry companies. So Arepa, has, you know, theirs is a berry drink. I think Very Berry has been to a university, maybe Otago um, and Sujon, who sell overpriced berries mainly to elderly people. I think they managed to convince a New Zealand university to do a small scale study and announce that it's great for athletes. Therefore, it's uh, it's good for old people as well, which mm. was a little bit baffling. Um, but it's it's really unfortunate when universities don't seem to look at these things and say, no, despite the fact that you've got money, we're not interested in doing this study. A lot of the time they just seem to accept it. And, you know, the results are preliminary it's you know it's one of those things where you read the conclusions and it's like this requires further study um but there's enough positive in there that the company will run with what they've got and and suddenly announce that this university has given their product a thumbs up i yeah, also I was... want to note that arepa has like about 14 grams of sugar so if it's going to make your brain nice and alert i i think it's a sugar high <laughs> mm, well that is interesting because the the person I spoke to on the stand um, said that one of the founders used to work for Red Bull, but didn't like the the reputation and the and the and the ingredients inside Red Bull that um, and the effect that they had on people. Which obviously most of these energy drinks are full of sugar and caffeine, which is what makes them effective, um, or at least appear to be effective when you go and drink them. They will give you <laughs> this high and. Um, make you feel like you're uh, doing things at a million miles an hour when, in fact, probably you're actually far better off getting some more sleep. Yeah, or having a balanced diet. <laughs> anyway, Al, we'll be interested to see uh, how you find the uh, the Go Green Expo in Tarawa. Indeed, so shall I. What are we going to talk about next? Well, I think yeah. it's the the word that nobody can pronounce. K-I-R-O-N? <laughs> Al, did you ever find out how to pronounce it? No, uh, no. Um, although, well, although Susanna does a lot of channeling, um, I couldn't sit through 
enough of them to find out how it was pronounced. And um, it, um, she talks about other people like Emmanuel and so on, but uh, no, Teiron is the best I can manage and no one's going to shoot me for it. <laughs> Just fit as many vowels as you can in between a C and an N and then you've got the appropriate pronunciation. Exactly. <laughs> no, well, I've, I've done a bit more reading and there is something that, that's struck me as odd about this sort of non-cultish in that there is no control over the members. The course graduates themselves uh, have their pineal gland activated and presumably they have salvation in their grasp. Um, and I have to say that the reviews of the in-person courses are very enthusiastic. They do seem real and something powerful obviously happens. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, that's not unknown with various cults with a good presenter, but yeah, good on them. But the interesting thing is that the graduates who have their pineal gland activated can't do it to other people. Um, oh. Indeed, the only Susanna can activate right. the pineal so it's, gland. It's not really a pyramid scheme, then. Everybody's got to go to the source. Exactly, yes. And it's like yeah. it's like the GMO seeds that are um, that only work for one generation. Oh, the Terminator yes. seeds. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, the 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 website has updates, uh, including the videos of Susanna doing channeling, which is oh, normal act. I mean, sort of somewhat jerky presentation and completely content free. But there, as far as I can tell, there's no attempt to keep in touch or monitor the graduates. Just to give you an indication, this is what my neighbor's sign says. She is a universally accredited love teacher, which I would say means she's a graduate. But this is what she can offer. Healing within, inner peace, loving angels around you greater life purpose, and a more loving home. And it seems to me that a family that engaged in a transcendental meditation course, apart from loving angels, could offer more or less the same thing. Certainly, there's no indication of salvation. So, mm. yeah, the, the ones who pay the money, they're the ones who are saved. Goody, goody. <laughs> Sounds um, a lot like a many religions, isn't it? It is a bit, yeah. Um, but things start getting interesting when you get into the history and description of the world that Susanna offers. And there's a very brief timeline. There's the rise and fall of Lemuria as a result of dark forces. And there's no indication of what came before. There's the life and works of Jesus, which, of course, is the previous incarnation of our Susanna. And it's a very, very long 
and very, very repetitious page on the website. It really does read like someone making stuff up when they don't really have much to say. And that someone obviously has no knowledge of ancient Judean history. No supernatural dark forces were needed to suppress Jesus' message. Just the wicked religious establishment. Oh, those dread Pharisees. You could expect nothing less. And the third timeline is today. The return of the Messiah. Susanna, Maria, Emmanuel in person, spreading her message of love and salvation to all who have ears to hear. So she does explicitly say that she's the, the next coming of the Messiah. Yes. Oof. That, I mean, that's a big claim, right? Well, it is a big claim, but of course, everybody's misinterpreted what the Messiah Jesus was. He didn't actually offer salvation. It was Emmanuel who spoke through him who offered salvation. Right. It's still a big claim, but yeah, <laughs> I, I have to say, however, that um, Susanna's life and works seems untroubled by these dreadful, powerful, dark forces, and that they don't seem to be impeding her. But this is still a Manichaean universe. And the Manichaean universe needs dark forces. If Susanna tells the world there are dark forces that have impeded the road to salvation, then what other dark forces exist? Inquiring minds want to know. Mm. And so I can offer you the website of another of her graduates. Oh. Micheline. Her website is called Personality Sculpture. And you'll be delighted to know that after having been activated by Susanna, she has now got the energy of 6,000 human beings. <laughs> it's a wonder she doesn't explode. <laughs> so one thing, one thing that I found really interesting about this was she seemed to limit how much money she can make. I mean, it's talking about, you know, how you've got to become activated by 2020. It, it's like she put a time limit on, on her own con. Like, you know, after that, what, what does she do? How does she keep making money if she can no longer activate people? Um, I'm imagining she just shot herself in the foot there a little bit. Well, particularly as the courses are still advertised, but there are no dates for them. <laughs> okay maybe maybe she's an ethical con woman well, well maybe but she early in her shtick she does say all that's needed is 400 million graduates and all will be well wow but is that all that's all yeah <laughs> simple I got 400 million and, and they've all got to come through her well, I assume they do, yes. Oh, she's going to be busy for a while. <laughs> she's going to get a sore throat talking to them. Yeah, but she's a, she was born here, as far as you can tell, she is a Kiwi? Oh, yes. 
And she's now in England, right? She's now in England. Yeah. This make this makes me feel slightly better because I'm English and I know that two prominent psychics over here, Jeanette Wilson and Sue Nicholson, are also both English, and that makes me feel guilty. But the idea that we're shipping Kiwi cranks back to England, I kind of like that. It's good to hear it's a two-way exchange. It mm. is. It is. But um, let, let me go on about Micheline, who has determined to ferret out the hidden work of the dark forces. Oh, her site has dozens of links to YouTube sites that claim to reveal the truth. I haven't looked at any of the videos, but I've looked up a few of the owners. So there's Michael Sarion, known as Brian Heatley, who seems to be a white supremacist and neo-Nazi. He's also into UFOs and ancient aliens. Um, Susanna doesn't actually mention ancient aliens, but we'll leave that aside. Um, there's Michael Cremo. Humans have existed unchanged for billions of years. There's <laughs> Mark Passio. He's an ex-Satanist. Uh, apparently, he's not of the baby-eating kind. Okay. But more of the humanist side. Um, <laughs> he is a disciple of David, is it Ike? Of lizard yeah. people fame, yeah, David Ike, yeah, and he says aliens interbred with humans. Um, Susanna doesn't push that line either. Um, Graham Hancock, everybody should know about him. Yeah, um, ancient and high tech civilization based on Antarctica. And I've saved the best to last. Anyone ever heard of Michael Tellinger? Challenger? Challenger, T. No. To quote a few items from his homepage, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, this is what he said he was told to believe, inference being, of course, it was false. We evolved from apes. Fluoride makes for healthy teeth. Vaccines improve health. Flowing electrons create electricity. <laughs> Pyramids were Ferrer's tombs. Atoms are made of subatomic particles. People landed on the moon. This all we sounds sent, good. We sent a probe to land on Mars. The sun is a giant nuclear reactor. <laughs> Kennedy was killed by Oswald. Chemtrails are just water vapour. Millions were killed in Nazi gas chambers. Oh, dear. It's a wonder that he can cross the road safely with such an unusual view of the world. So what are his alternative explanations for these things? It's probably the damn dark forces. <laughs> Does he still yeah. believe the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell? Very likely. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so um, he, he doesn't go down rabbit holes. He collects them. And <laughs> he's a Trump supporter. Of course. Of course. Naturally. So, yeah, um, there's lots more Micheline references. But she obviously hasn't thought about what they mean since 
many of them contradict each other, and many of them contradict the teachings of Susanna. Uh, so apparently the dark forces still exist, but it's very odd. They're not bothering Susanna in her messianic mission. One has to wonder how many others of Susanna's graduates have gone on to seek the hidden truths about dark forces. Perhaps she should have said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Don't listen to anyone but me. So I'd finish by saying there's obviously little testable about Susanna's claims, but I think it's fair to note there is no sign whatsoever of the world being flooded with love, as she mm -hmm. claims it is, just the contrary. Well, that's because she hasn't got her 400 million people yet. Oh, no, she is the channel. She is the love channel. She oh, right. is now, as we speak, flooding the world with love. Hmm. So, yeah. We're soaking in it. That we are, yes. So, yeah, I, I find all that terribly interesting and rather unusual. <laughs> I think... This makes me realize just how many small groups that are out there. You know, the, the amount of times that I stumble across one or people like you, Al, find these groups and they, there's just so many of them out there that might only have like a few hundred followers each. Um, but just trying to map them would be a nightmare. I mean, a lot of them seem to have connections. They seem to follow a lot of the same people and venerate the same people. But I think there must be thousands and thousands of them out there. Yes. I agree. I mean, I did reference the Portal 2012, and that, as that can actually has got quite a few um, cross-references from two other sites who sort of seem to hold to the same ideas. Why the poor Pleiades got stuck with everything, I really don't know. But, yeah, the, just, just Portal 2012 has, has got an awful lot of side references, and this just a tiny, tiny fraction. There are obviously millions of these idiots out there. <laughs> I think that we should take Sir Berners-Lee, line him up against a wall and shoot him for crimes <laughs> against humanity. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, here, here we are on an, an internet video call. I feel like maybe that would be uh, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, indeed. Yeah. I think it's an interesting point you make about how the, these people survive. I mean, the our, our one, as you mentioned earlier, uh, in New Zealand is Jeanette Wilson, and she just seems to be a, a magnet for these sorts of beliefs. And, and she's still doing her thing, and it seems like making money and surviving. Uh, how the hell she does, I don't know. But obviously, she's got her followers that she's able to to milk for for cash in order to be able to make her way in the world. And subscriptions are effective. You know, it's a small amount yeah. of money given consistently, consistently over months. You know, um, yeah. you just have people convince people to keep on purchasing. Yes, become a member of the New Zealand Skeptics. Yeah. <laughs> that was bad timing for that advert. <laughs> really bad timing. Indeed. Right. 
And Bronwyn, you um, wrote an article in this week's newsletter about scientific fraud. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, no, um, I just came across this article in the New York Times about Elizabeth Bick. Um, she's sort of been profiled in all these articles that have come out in the past couple of years because she has she's a super spotter. You know, she can find these patterns in um, images. And I think what's particularly interesting in terms of the how the direction of this conversation has changed is that up until, say, well, even in 2016, she noted that there was a high correlation between the amount of fraudulent scientific papers being published largely from both the U.S. and in China in equal in equal amounts, whereas a lot of the attention had been given to um, Chinese uh, paper mills. The growth of Chinese paper mills is largely inspired by the fact that if you are a doctor in China and you want to be promoted, you do need to publish a certain amount of articles. So an easy way to do that is to just get involved with some of these organizations. Now, there are obviously doctors and scientists in China who do it legitimately. Um, but if you're somebody who is sort of on the bottom end of the scale, getting your article into, you know, a low impact journal can help. But what they found in the in recently was um, this Alzheimer's paper. Now, it's not the biggest discovery regarding um, this particular um, um, protein that was that that the guy was writing about, but it was an influential paper. And even if people weren't trying to necessarily replicate his experiments, it just meant money with millions of dollars was re being redirected into essentially a uh, fraudulent bit of science. And I think one thing we need to think about as skeptics is, you know, we have this diet, we have sort of this debate about, you know, Western science and Western science being this model. And I think we don't often take into consideration how vigilant we have to be because um, we just can't say Western science is great. We actually have to be vigilant as scientists and as skeptics to make sure that we are upholding those expectations and standards. Someone publishes a paper, you know, how legitimate is that paper? Do we have the, do we ha necessarily have the skills to say that paper is legitimate? Mm, you know, I'd say most right. of us would say, no, I am not an expert in microbiology. You know, you trust your cancer doctors to um, know the difference. And, you know, guess what? Most of the fraudulent papers are coming out of the cancer, cancer mm. genre. Yes, shocking, really, isn't it? Mm. Um, I guess that's where replication is important, but replication isn't really sexy and, and doesn't sort of journals yeah. don't want to publish papers that are just replications of uh, existing research. So just to clarify, when you talk replication, you're talking about a separate study that tries to reproduce the results and mm. not just replicating an image by uh, copy and pasting it in the same, uh, in the same paper, no. right? <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> that seems to be part of the source of the problem here is, uh, is just the amount of times that people will reuse an image and in some ways try to obfuscate it, right? There are different ways that... You know, people will zoom in and rotate an image and try and use it. Or I've, I've seen so retractionwatch.com, I think it is, is a really good website to keep an eye on these. And I've I've seen some of their investigations where they find that people over the span of maybe five or 10 years will just use even the same graphs. Um, they'll try and make them look slightly different. But yeah, people have you know been noticed using lines that are identical in testing totally different materials for different properties. But it's a graph they've drawn, and if they're faking results, they might as well save a few minutes and reuse some numbers that they made up last time in the next paper as well, which to me seems daft. But I guess how many people are actually out there checking? How many people are going through the entire history of someone's academic papers and checking to see if they're reusing their stuff. 
Or I mean, if you're, mm. if you're a young career, if you're, you know, an undergrad student and you're reading these papers and you don't quite have the skills to critically evaluate, Hey, is this Western blot, you know, are they meant to look like this? And you don't, and you haven't had that lab experience, you don't know the difference. So that's something that can actually completely change how you interpret and understand science can actually, um, you know, cause some uh, setbacks for you when you do learn those skills. Mm. I guess the assumption that we have is that scientists are ethical and uh, they're not subject to the same sort of human whims that uh, that would cause uh, other less scrupulous people to do this sort of thing. But that turns out to not be the case, unfortunately. I, mm. I, I mean, you know, because of, because there have been these scientists who ha- who are whistleblowing, they're finding that they too have had uh, papers of concern or papers that have been identified as uh, having fraudulent images, and you know that's sort of fractured quite a few relationships that they've had with um, you know fellow you know co co authors and uh, fellow scientists, and mm. you know no one's really safe, and that again is another that's another aspect of it. It's how much scrutiny you know when you have a uh, ten, twenty, or even five or seven person writing team how much scrutiny do you want to do you, can you afford to uh, put into your papers it's a bit of a yes it's a serious situation mm-hmm. um mark apparently there was this girl in the second world war who wrote a diary <laughs> is that true or not well apparently but some people aren't so sure some people wonder whether maybe anne frank didn't actually write anne frank's diary um, I don't think it's going to surprise you too much to hear that these people tend to be Nazi sympathizers and uh, members of the alt-right these days. Um, famous people like David Irving, who's famous for all the wrong things, and we've talked about before. Um, and this is this is an article based on that awful, awful TV show. Not TV, because it's never been on TV, but this online show, a 10-part series called Europa, which is trying to be Nazi sympathetic while looking at the Second World War. And um, this time, the claim that was made was that Anne Frank didn't write her diary. And the proof is that it was written in ballpoint pen. And and like that, Winnie the Pooh was the, uh, well, the, the man that voiced Winnie the Pooh was the guy that really um, did Churchill's speeches, really recorded them for the BBC like that claim. This claim as well just seems so fanciful. But at the same time, it's like it's got to have come from somewhere. This guy that made this documentary series will have found this online somewhere. And so I looked into this one and this one, from what I can tell, he did almost word for word copy um, an image from 2016, and he turned it into part of the text of his documentary series. And there were three claims that was made. The first one was the biro claim. The second one was that the handwriting was different and it didn't match Anne Frank's. And the third one was that there was um, a Jewish playwright who ended up suing Anne Frank's father, um, Otto Frank, for $50,000 in the US. And that this is proof that it was actually him that wrote the diary and, and not Anne Frank. And that it was this was suing for payment for the job that he'd done for writing the diary. So I dived into all th- three of these. And I'm sure it's not going to surprise our listeners to hear that they are all nonsense. The first one, ballpoint, it turns out that there were 
in the collection of diary and associated papers. By the time it got to the 1980s, there were a lot of extra bits of paper that were added. Two of those bits of paper had some writing in biro on them. Um, and But these were not... Anne Frank's writing. These were annotations that had been added much later on. So, yes, there was some biro in the collections, but this was not Anne Frank. The second thing about the handwriting, handwriting experts have looked at it and said, no, this is the writing. In fact, in a way, I think they said it was surprisingly consistent, given that this was during her teenage years, that, you know, handwriting changes as you get older. But hers was fairly consistent. And it's muddied by the fact that she didn't just write the diary during her time in hiding. She realized at some point that she that it was likely that this diary might be published. Um, I guess it was quite an unusual thing, quite a rare thing to happen. And so she started rewriting parts of her diary. So I think from maybe 1943, she went back to the older parts of the diary and started to rewrite them. I guess maybe maturity would help her a bit with all of that, um, trying to get things more in order and write it in a more of a consistent way. And the third thing um, was the, the idea that this playwright was the person that actually wrote the diary. And yes, it turns out that the this lawsuit with Otto Frank did happen. And um, I think the $50,000 was awarded to Mayor Levin. But the reason he was suing because was because he'd written a play based on Anne Frank's diary. In the end, it turned out that this version of the play was not used by Otto Frank. He ended up getting it rewritten by somebody else. And I think from what I understand that um, Mayor Levin was claiming that the new version of the play was heavily based on his, but he wasn't compensated for that. So he was arguing that actually, because the new play looked a lot like my original version of the play, I need compensation. And so he argued successfully that he should be given $50,000 or he argued that he should be given something and he won $50,000. So again, a perfectly reasonable explanation for this dodgy looking lawsuit that happened. Um, and yeah, it turns out this is just more basically Nazi propaganda in the 2020s. I mean, how we're still dealing with Nazi propaganda. <laughs> it's like, I think we're, we're fairly okay with the idea that the Nazis were not good, but some people are just still trying to paint them in a positive light. And it's, it, it's ridiculous the depths they'll stoop to, like mm. trying to claim that Anne Frank's diary wasn't written by her and maybe even she didn't exist. And this is all just a way of trying to garner sympathy for Jewish people. It's, it's just ridiculous. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, that's what confused me as to how, how it advanced the cause of uh, Nazi sympathizers to claim that she didn't write the diary. But I guess if you, if you uh, can, can say that it was all made up in order to be propaganda, um, then yes, I guess that advances that cause. Yes. I, I think any way that they can malign Jewish people and make them out to be awful, I think, is is fair mm. game um, or tends to be fair game. I mean, you look at David Irving's history and a lot of the claims he's made. Um, it's just it's just throwing mud at a wall in the hope that something will stick. Mm hmm. Now, this is about the second um, article that's been, I think, that's been inspired by this um, docu-series. Um, how many episodes do you have left now, Mark? <laughs> Only two more. It's okay. We're near the end. Episodes nine and <laughs> ten is it. I mean, if I'm really unlucky, they're going to be like two hours each, which is going to be really painful. Um, but that, that means at the most I've got four more hours 
to go, which is not much. I'm I'm on the home stretch. I'm I'm really excited about that. I wonder if they're going to bring up the um, the Olympic Games in the seventies and things like that. I wonder. I I honestly don't know. Um, I, I mean, at this point, they might throw in aliens. They might say that Jewish people are aliens or something. That wouldn't <laughs> surprise me. Right. Uh, I I know that we've got a conference coming up. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, buy tickets. Conference.skeptics.nz. <laughs> Um, weekend tickets are $109. We have a student discount for the weekend, which is $75. Um, but we also have single day tickets. So if you can only come on the Saturday or the Sunday, that's 60 bucks. And we'll have mugs on sale on site. So um, if you have an extra $10 or so, um, bring your bills in and uh, have yourself a nice little vessel to have your little homeopathic remedy or, uh, or not. <laughs> we'll even fill it with homeopathic cure. Yeah. Would you well, say ten dollars or so? I mean, are you are you variably charging based on how much you like someone? Maybe. <laughs> Yours okay. will be twenty dollars, Mark. <laughs> Watch Mark like just go green at the idea of a twenty dollar mug. <sighs> yeah, I, I will choke on that idea. It would be mm. the mug. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, there's a pun in there, isn't there? Next year's yeah, mugs. We, we should do something about mugs and mugs on our mugs. But no, it's going to be a really good weekend. Um, we got a really fantastic lineup of speakers. We have Peter Ellis's lawyer, Rob Harrison, who's joining us on Sunday. We have um, Ju- Dr. Judy Milnick and her and her husband, TJ. We had them last year. They're back again this year. Um, we have, um, you know, a great array of um professors and scholars from Victoria University who are going to come and join us and talking about like, you know, everything from right wing um, to why they became skeptics to the jihad. Fantastic topics. I'm looking forward to it. All the best people will be there. Yeah. All the best people, all the cool people. (laughs) In fact, all four of us will be there, won't we? Anil, you bought the ticket? Of course, but I'm not one of the best people. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, you are. But, you bought a ticket. <laughs> but to wet your whistle until then, we do have some skeptical events happening. Um, mainly between now and the conference, it's going to be Wellington. So we have our Skeptics in the Pub meeting um, that's going to be held at the Lobby Lounge inside the Intercontinental Hotel this Friday, which is, God, what day is it? Is it the uh, 18th? Pretty sure. Yeah, the 18th yes. of November at 6 p.m. Um, then we have science-based activism that's going to be next Thursday at the Fork and Brewer, also at 6 p.m. Yeah, 6, 6.30. I'm fairly, you know, fast and loose with when I turn up, but yeah, six-ish. All right. And then after the conference, um, if you just need a bit more planning, if you're living in Dunedin, they will have their skeptics in the pub at Umbrellos Kitchen and Bar on December 8th at 6 p.m. And Craig, when is the Auckland Skeptics in the Pub meeting? The Auckland Skeptics in the Pub will be on Tuesday, the 1st of December, which will be at the Dice and Fork in uh, in Victoria at Victoria Park um, Market, what used to be Victoria Park Market. Um, so that, that, that will be a lot of fun, I hope, 7 p.m. start. We actually had to um, cancel last, last month because uh, – 
Uh, a couple of us were sick and we didn't have many people who had RSVP. And it turns out that people were intending to turn up but hadn't actually RSVP'd. So uh, we try to sort that sort that out so that we know have a better idea of how many people are going to show up. But um, and sorry yeah. for those of you that turned up without RSVPing and found there was nobody there. It's half your fault, half Craig's fault. Mm, indeed. Well, well, no, <laughs> one of us had COVID and the other one had a bad cold. So. Got to protect the skeptics. We don't want to. Uh, we don't want to. We don't want to call our numbers. Uh, yeah, due to, uh, indeed. Poor decisions. But so yes, lots of stuff going on for the. Oh. Sorry, carry on. Oh, I was just to say, there's lots of stuff going on. If you're interested into skeptical thinking. Yep. I am. I'm interested in skeptical thinking. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> and uh, the Friday night for the conference. What's that going to be all about? So, yeah, that's going to be at the Welsh Dragon Bar, which used to be a set of public toilets. Um, the quickest set of directions is at the pretty much at the very end of Courtney Place, but we're only it would only be a few minutes away from the Saturday and Sunday conference venue, which is the Tararua Tramping Club. Um, Friday night, 6 p.m., um, come in. And we have Matt Willie, who will be doing a um, stand-up act, but we'll also have some puzzles and some lock picking, but really, it's just ultimately a very casual, chatty event. Sorry, is that the old Taj Mahal? Yes. Right. What the old Taj Mahal? That's what it was called. Um, apparently, in the sixties, there were some students who were trying to uh, claim it as its own proper, as its own uh, kingdom or something. If I if I recall. <laughs> okay. There's a really good picture. I've seen it. That sounds like another, but, another but story. It's not, but it's very nice. We have we have the we have the nice part of the uh, venue, so it'll be really good. See everyone there. Cool. All right, we should finish up then. We should. Yes. You have been listening to the Yena podcast. If you'd like to give us some feedback, you can send us an email at news at skeptics.nz or better still come along to the conference and confront us in person. <laughs> oh, I like it. Oh, oh, oh quickly, before we go, I, I've got one question for you, Craig. We were supposed to do a follow-up. How has No Nut November been for you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not quite successful. Oh, oh that's so Well, sad. actually, yay for Susan. Wait for <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it, hang on, hang on. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, oh, poor Susan. <laughs> yeah, no, now, now he's wondering, is nothing just masturbating or does it cover sex as well? This is it's an existential question. Uh, <laughs> you will never find out. <laughs> <laughs> well, Susan, ask and you shall receive for an update. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to get our stories straight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, very good. Uh, how's, it, how's it going for you, Mark? Oh, I failed before we recorded the last episode on the 1st of November. I was I was already, you know, in the losing team by then. Uh. <laughs> right, okay. All right. Well, uh, maybe we can discuss this some more at the conference because it will still be, still be November when the conference is happening. So, Oh, yeah, it will be. Oh, I wonder if anybody's managed until then. We'll find out, I guess. <laughs> we'll ask the maybe. room. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that would be a very cringeworthy session. Yep. <laughs> Definitely. All right. See you all next time. Bye. 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 Bye.